Turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Proverbs, chapter 5. We are, as a church, walking through Proverbs, and we are basically doing an exposition of the first eight chapters, and then after that we are going to turn and we're going to kind of do something different in Proverbs, and you'll see how we will preach the rest of it. Uh, But today we are in Proverbs chapter 5. So let me go ahead and read this entire chapter to you, and I would ask you to follow along in your Bibles. By the way, if you need a Bible, uh, just slip up your hand and uh, one of our guys in the back will bring you one. As soon as you see them with a Bible, just raise your hand and they'll hand you a Bible or find a Bible on your phone. I'll tell you, it's kind of hot in here. And if you don't follow along in your Bible, you're going to fall asleep this morning, all right? That is my warning to you. So make sure you have something in your hands and something to look at. And a fan in the other hand, all right? Some of you are already fanning yourself. We, should, we need to get church fans, Amen. Some garden church fans with, uh, with my wife's face on them. <laughs> that would be amazing. All right, Proverbs chapter 5. Follow along with me as I read. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. And now, O sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless, lest strangers take their fill of your strength and Labors go to the house of a foreigner, and at the end of your life, you will groan when your flesh and your body are consumed, and you will say, oh, how I hated discipline, and how my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Drink from the water of your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of sin. He dies for a lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. Let's pray and ask God to help us. Father, we believe that this is your word, inspired through your servant Solomon, And the sages of times past preserved for us today. We believe that it speaks to us, has the potential of of, of changing us, but we recognize that we can't do this on our own, that we need your Holy Spirit to help us understand and not only understand these things, but also to change us so that we might with joy receive these words. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In a society that says multiple partners are better than 
just one. In a society that says sexual experience is nothing more than recreation and the use of pornography is not a big deal, the Bible tells us a different story. The Bible begins with the Creator God creating Adam, or man, out of the dust of the ground. And from Adam, Adam, he takes his side and he makes woman. One become two. Now God immediately brings this woman to the man, and the man receives her as a gift. Two become one. Do you see this pattern? One flesh becomes two. And now these two complementary parts come back together as one flesh. So, from the very beginning, we see that, that sex is given to us as a gift from God, and it has an intent. It has a purpose, and the purpose is this. The purpose is for a husband and wife to come together as one flesh. Now, we can just simply deduce from that this, that uh, once you come together as one flesh with one, there is no reason, need, we shouldn't even desire to come together with, as one flesh with anyone else because our one flesh uh, desire has been fulfilled in our spouse. So God has a design for sex. God has an intent for sex rooted in creation. Now, using sex in any other way outside of God's intent would just simply destroy the beauty and the wonder of this one flesh relationship. Imagine I made you a wristwatch. I don't make wristwatch, wristwatches, so you'll have to imagine hard. But imagine I, gave you, I, I carefully constructed a clock to go on your wrist, and I gave it to you as a gift, all right? And then you received that gift from, you and, from, from me, and you said, oh, great, a hammer. And you began to use the watch that I made you as a hammer, all right? You are now going to do what to the watch that I gave you? You're going to destroy it, all right? Something that uh, is, is created has an intention behind the creation, and to use it any other way outside of the created intent is to destroy it. So, so in, in uh, the society in which we live, the Bible comes and it really shares with us an entirely different story as to what the meaning of sex and the purpose of sex is. So this morning, uh, my goal is to really just simply expose the myths that are in our society about sex. I want to talk about the reality of what we could call sexual immorality, meaning using sex in any other way than the intent of God. I want to expose the myths of sexual immorality and show how using sex in any other way is not uh, pleasurable and is actually, in the end, destructive. Now, we see in verses 5 and 6 here that this is clearly talking about the path to life and the path to death, the road to life and the road to, de uh, road to death. You might remember last week when we studied chapter 4 of Proverbs, we saw that chapter 4 is all about the road to life, and it mentions in there the road to death. Now, chapter 5 is really just simply one of many examples or illustrations of the road to death, all right? So there's, I don't think there's anything, uh, any in particular reason uh, why 
uh, adultery is used here other than the fact that God inspired it and he wanted us to, to have these truths and we're going to glean from it. But I think we could illustrate the road to death in a hundred or a thousand different ways. That's my point, all right? This, what we have before us, is simply an illustration of one way to walk the road to death. Now, second to that, the example here is clearly of a man who is considering committing adultery against his wife. All right, so that is the illustration that's used. All right, there's, again, a hundred or a thousand different ways we could have illustrated this. Solomon could have illustrated this. The one that's used is about a man who's thinking about committing adultery against his wife. All right? So, first, how do I want you guys to sort of receive this passage this morning? Well, if you are a man thinking about committing adultery against your wife, this is going to speak to you uh, in a very plain, straightforward sense. All right? If you are a woman thinking about luring a man into an adulterous relationship who's married, it's going to also speak to you in a very straightforward manner. Now, I would assume, though, that the majority of us are not in the moment considering an adulterous relationship. At least I hope that that's not the case. Uh, or considering luring someone into an adulterous relationship. So how do we broadly apply this to everyone? Well, here's how. Uh, while this is one aspect, one look at sexual immorality, Sexual immorality, uh, or all of sexual immorality, I should say, have the same roots, the same source, the same lies attached to it, and they all have a remedy. So whether your uh, sexual immorality that is in front of you is, uh, is, is lust, or whether it is possibly adultery, or whether it is uh, hookups as a single person, or sex uh, without marriage, or we could go on, whatever uh, the sexual immorality is before you, we can broadly apply this text to all of sexual immorality and show how sexual immorality is the road to death, okay? So let me just, we're going to keep this simple. From this text, let me show you three truths, three things about sexual immorality that are true, of course, of adultery. This is, this is the this is the example, but they are true, broadly speaking, of all sexual immorality. So let's look together. The first one is this. The first truth of sexual immorality is this. Sexual immorality is all based on a lie. Sexual immorality is all based on a lie. Look at verse 3. It says, For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, and her, her steps follow the path to Sheol. There is a lie here regarding true beauty, the nature of what true beauty is. You see there in verse 3, this descriptor of this, this woman, her, her lips drip with honey. I can't think of any more poetic way to say that this woman is enticing, all right? Her lips drip with honey. I mean, there is this lie about true beauty. I mean, in the moment for this, adult, this man thinking about adultery, this woman is the most beautiful thing he has ever seen. Now, check this out. God has created us in his own image. And 
what we see in, in uh, the creation account is that part of that image is the attraction to beauty. So God creates Adam and even places them in a garden. And in the garden there are trees and there is grass and there are skies. It's a beautiful place to live. God has created us with an attraction to beauty. So we are attracted to the beauty in nature. You could see the Grand Canyon and you would say, that is beautiful. Or we are also attracted to the beauty in other people. Now what Satan does is this. Satan always uses beauty, what God has created us to be attracted to. He uses beauty and he, and he does this. The, the first step uh, of, of the perversion of sexuality is the perversion of true beauty. Perverting in our minds and in our thoughts what beauty actually is. And so here's this woman, the seductress with lips dripping with honey, and she is the most beautiful thing this man has ever seen. If Satan were this beautiful, you might say, I would gladly run into his arms. Beauty draws us And the enemy uses beauty to pull us in, not for our gain, but to destroy us. There is a lie here regarding the nature of true beauty. Now, how do we fight this? How do we fight being drawn to this this perverted understanding of beauty? Well, let me give you one very practical tip. When you, male or female, see someone, male or female, who you find to be enticing and beautiful, all right, this is the forbidden woman for you, okay? You find this person to be beautiful and you are drawn to them. When you are around them, there's something that happens inside of you. What do you do with that? Here's what you do you recognize that God is the creator of all beauty. And so you look at that person and you say, thank you, God, for making something so beautiful. And I guarantee you that when you do, the way that you look at this individual will change. You will now look at them with the image of God upon them. And your, your thoughts will turn away from, from lust and perversion and it will turn to Praying, God, please don't let someone take advantage of this person because of their beauty. Please don't let me take advantage of this person because of their beauty. All right, back to the text. So first, there is this lie about true beauty. Also, we see uh, a a lie about your own ego. Look at the end of verse 3. Her speech is smoother than oil. That's descriptive. Her speech is not rough. It's not watery. It's not thin. Her speech is smooth. And it's thick like oil. Meaning, she makes you feel good. Nobody has ever made you feel like this before. She flatters you. She builds your ego. Yesterday, you felt aged and insignificant and insecure and lost. And today, now you feel young and fresh energetic, secure, found. She makes you feel good about yourself. Listen, all of sexual immorality lies to you about yourself. It builds you up in a false way. All of sexuality temporarily makes you feel better 
about yourself. And so there's this egotistical nature to sexual immorality. Now that's the sweetness, all right? That is the sweetness. So as, as, as at, at first, when, when you, you meet this, this person and there is this draw, I mean, before fingers have interlocked, before there's been an embrace, before uh, there's been a first kiss, there is a real sweetness to this relationship. It tastes at first like honey, as we see in the text. But it's not honey, is it? And this is where there's a lie here attached to sexual immorality. While it first tastes like, uh, like honey, we discover that it is not honey. And the aftertaste is bitter. There's a lie here then regarding the destination. Look at verse 6. She, or let's start with verse 5. Her, her feet go down to the path to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol, which means hell or the grave. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander. She does not even know it. So here are these two roads, the road to life and the road to death. We see there that she is not on the road to life in verse 6. and Instead, she is on the road to death in verse 5. So while there is a sweetness at first, at first this relationship tastes like honey. The reality is this. It leads you to death, to destruction. It lies about the destination. And in fact, it's as bitter as wormwood. Now, I've never had wormwood, but it's bitter, I assume. A very bit, meaning it's not honey. This is all a lie. The sweetness was a lie. And what's scary about this is what we see in verse 6. She doesn't even know it herself that she's on this road to death. Meaning this isn't the, uh, the evil seductress that we had in mind, is it? This is the innocent woman that you've been looking at. She caught your eye. She is so sweet in her, in her, in her speech. and She's encouraging to you. She builds you up at work. She's caring she listens to you in a way that your wife does not listen to you. She builds your ego. Listen, she, she's, she's godly. All right? She prays with you. She, I mean, she is the woman that, 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 man, would have made a great godly wife. She submits to you. Right? She doesn't even know it herself. But she is running down the hill on the road to death. I mean, remember last week the sneakiness of this road to death? The enticement of this road to death? Hey, do you know why it is that Christian leaders fall into adultery? It's because of this very situation. They didn't even realize it. It was good. It was innocent. It seemed, it seemed like it wasn't a big deal. Lies. Sexual immorality is all based on lies. Lies of true beauty. Lies of the destination. Now, we, we can continue here. Sexual immorality is also a thief. There's this, this, this girl. All right, she, she, uh, when you see her, it makes the, uh, the flitters flutter, if you know what I mean. 
all right? And, uh, and so you leave work, and instead of going home, you instead take a detour and you walk near her house. Uh, you're not going to do anything, right? This is the lie that leads into all sexual immorality. We're not going to do anything. But you go near the door of her house just to see her, maybe bump, bump into her friends, just to make her laugh, uh, and then you'll head home to, wi- to your wife. All right, you'll shoot her a text message just to see how she's doing, nudge her on Facebook or whatever these things are. It's, it's, it seems innocent. Look at verse 8. Verse 8. It says, keep away far from her. Keep, do, do not go near the door of her house. I mean, in a very real practical sense, like, look, don't take those innocent steps that are no big deal. I'm just going to walk this way. I don't even know why I'm doing this, but nothing's going to happen. Gordon McDonald was a Christian leader that fell into an affair. And commenting on how that happened, uh, he told this story. He said, he said, one time somebody asked him a, uh, a question. The question was, what do you think it would take for Satan to get you? What do you think it would take for Satan to get you? His answer was this, well, all sorts of ways, I suppose. But I know one way that he will never get me, and that is in the area of personal relationships. He said, I am as strong as it gets in this area. Well, not much uh, long, a- long after that, not a whole lot of time had passed, and he said that his entire life and his entire world began to break apart. Let me read his account. Choice by choice, each easier to make, each becoming gradually darker. This is that sneaky, enticing nature. We don't jump into adultery. This man is not jumping into adultery. It is walking near her house, near the door. It's the text message. It's the Facebook. It's the email. It's the choice after choice. And each choice is now easier to make. And all of a sudden, your world breaks apart. And it's dark. And you are destroyed. Sexual immorality is a thief. Sexual immorality steals the good life. All right, this is the darkness that this man found himself in. Look at verses 9 and 10. Don't don't go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless, lest strangers take their fill of your strength. And your labors go to the house of a foreigner, meaning you're, you're, you're losing the good life that you have. Now, who are these people taking everything? Who are the others here and the merciless and the strangers and the foreigner? Who are these people? Well, the words there, I'll give you a little Hebrew. The words are not in masculine in the, in the Hebrew. The, or, or, I'm sorry, the words are not in feminine. The words are actually in masculine, meaning it's not here talking about the woman herself. So who is this? It could be the pimp that you are paying. You're you're giving your life to this pimp. Or maybe it is the husband, the outraged husband of the woman. 
and, and now you owe him money and, and, and your life is a mess and you're now working. Or maybe it's uh, the, the foreign government and here in this context, the, uh, he's, he's gone possibly after a foreign woman and so now there's a government, a foreign government that has seized him and now he's in prison. Honestly, it doesn't matter who it is. What we see is this. Your very best is being given away to others who are not your spouse. So your honor, your years, your strength, your labors. Whether this is that private sin of lust and your strength is being zapped from you and you have no strength to give your church community or to give your spouse or to give you your friends or whether this is that public fall into sexual immorality and you are now destroyed. You are no longer, you are no longer able to, uh, to serve in the church as you had as you are now disqualified by an affair or a relationship outside of marriage. It takes your good life. You can no longer love others in the way that you want to love them. You can't serve others in the way that you could have served them. Your good life has been stolen from you by sexual immorality. I know that you think that God wants to take from you. I know that as we, as we talk about this and you're struggling with sexual immorality that looks so appealing in some ways that you believe that God wants to take something from you. The reality is this, God only wants to give to you. Yes, you have to repent. You must turn from your sin. But here's the reality, you are turning away from the thief and you are turning to the giver of all good gifts. Sexual immorality is a thief. Sexual immorality also steals from you a clean conscience. Look at verses 11 through 13. At the end of your life, you groan. When your flesh and your body are consumed, and you say, how I hated discipline, and how my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to instruction. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. The partying, sexing bad boy of the uh, 1800s. He was a French stud named Lord Byron. He was the envy of all the men and he was the lust of all the women. Spent his youth and his years traveling and sexing and living it up. But let me read to you what he wrote on his 36th birthday. He said this, my days are the yellow leaf. The flowers and fruits of love are gone. The worm, the canker, and the grief are mine alone. On his 36th birthday, there he finds himself alone. Depressed. The canker. We can only imagine what that means. Yeah, this is the enticing life, isn't it? This is the life lived to its best, isn't it? To its fullest, isn't it? No, it's, it's a lie. It's a lie. Sexual immorality steals from you your clean conscience and you're left here with depression, with loneliness. 
The words in the Proverbs, groaning at the end of my life. And then he remembers, he says, oh, how I despised discipline. Oh, how I hated reproof. When my fellow church members would try to talk to me about my sexual immorality, I I despised them for it. I'm left now only with regret and with sorrow. Also there in verse 14, we see that it steals from you this godly reputation. He says, I sit at, at at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Meaning here I am in the worshiping congregation of God. And all I can see in front of me is my adultery. And my lust. And, and all I can see around me now is, is shame. Now that I am found out and it's been discovered. I am ruined. I have lost my godly reputation. If this isn't enough, lastly in verse 23, sexual immorality also steals from you your very life. Do not forget that this road of sexual immorality is a road to death. And you say, wait a second, I know hundreds of people who are living lives of sexual immorality and they're not dead. This can't be the road to death. It doesn't make sense. Well, that, that right there is the lie from Satan since creation. What did the serpent say to the woman in the garden as he tempted her. He says, you will not surely die. This won't lead to your death. Take a bite and you'll see. You won't die. This isn't the road to death. Friends, it is. We can see now what God meant by that. That death here is not just simply the immediate uh, physical withdrawal of your life. But but it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a deeper kind of death than that. It's a worse kind of death. It is the... In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul puts it this way. He says the sexually immoral, immoral does not inherit the kingdom of God. A commitment to sexual immorality is a description of someone who is not a citizen of the kingdom of God. It is a thief, and it steals from you, ultimately, your very life. Friends, turn from sexual immorality and, f- and live and find joy, not, not just in the moment, but find, find great joy, lasting joy. Well, sexual immorality is a liar. Sexual immorality is a thief, but thanks be to God, there is a remedy. There's a remedy built into this chapter, actually. So we're going to look at it as it is in the chapter. Sexual immorality can be defeated. And we see this in verse 15. Look at verse 15. It says, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Meaning, there is a fountain, O husband, considering adultery, there is a fountain in your home, through which you can quench your thirst. Are we getting the picture here? So drink the water from that fountain. All right, it's there for you to enjoy and to quench. Verse 16, should your springs be scattered abroad 
Streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Meaning, your, your sexuality is not something to be spread about. All right, this isn't something that we post online or text pictures back and forth. This isn't something, something in which we uh, invite others to join us in. This is something for us. This fountain within your own home to quench your, your thirst. Now, let me illustrate this in this way. Imagine you were in Alaska and it was a very cold night and you were stuck out there, wandering through knee-deep snow and you find a, a little cabin placed by God just for you in Alaska, all right? You walk into the cabin and there in the cabin is a, uh, a fireplace, And so you light a fire in the fireplace and within uh, uh, 20, 30 minutes, the the cabin is now glowing with this this warmth that is coming from the fireplace. And you're sitting there on a rocking chair in front of the fireplace just enjoying this fire that is in the fireplace, thanking God for it, saying, this is such a blessing. I am warm and this is cold. I love it. All right? And then you think, oh man, what if I spread the fire so the whole house could be consumed with this? And so we take some of that and we put it in the bedroom and then we take some of that fire and we put it in the kitchen and take some, we put it on the couch and, and, and we put some in the living room and, uh, and we can now enjoy the fire as it engulfs the entire house. How wonderful that will be. And then you find that that only leaves you with burns and destruction. All right? You see... Like I said at the beginning, sex has, a, has an intent by God. There's a purpose established uh, behind sex. Sex is not just recreation. And yes, sex in the fireplace. <laughs> Fire in the fireplace um, is delightful, all right? Enjoying uh, the, the, the thirst being quenched from the fountain in your own home is delightful. But to spread that outside of where it ought to be is is destructive. And as Lord Byron testifies, it leaves you only with regrets and problems. And even if you can't see that in this life, future destruction in the next. So marriage, or I'm sorry, so sexual immorality, while it's a liar and while it is a thief, sexual immorality can be defeated. How? Well, the remedy here in, in, in these verses is this. It says this. The remedy for sexual immorality is sex. That's what it says here. The remedy for sexual immorality, immorality is good, godly, God-intended sex within a biblical marriage. Look at verses 18 and 20. Let me just continue to, to paint this picture for you. Uh, Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a, a lovely deer, a, a graceful doe. What, what a wonderful description of a wife there. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always with her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, by, with a f- uh, forbidden woman? And embrace the bosom of an adulteress. Now that is straight up erotic language. Enjoy her. Enjoy her. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul makes it very clear that 
for the married couple. Sex, sex is not optional. I mean, barring, of course, major physical issues or sickness, sex is not optional. 300 years ago, the church in America would have disciplined and did discipline a man for not having sex with his wife. Finally excommunicated him. Church, or <laughs> sex is not optional within a biblical marriage. It is, it is a way that God has given a married couple uh, to fight together. Let's fight this. Let's fight the lure of sexual immorality through good, godly sex and enjoy one another. And listen, the, the world has it wrong. And I'll tell you what, the statistics show that the world has it wrong. Statistically, a married couple is likely to have more sex and better sex than a single person who is hooking up with whoever the single person wants to hook up with. That's truth, statistically, across the board. Nine out of ten married people are sexually attracted to their spouse. That's good. Well, what about the one? They're probably in an adulterous relationship, all right? God is... God has given us marriage as a gift. He's given us sex within marriage as a gift. We fight sexual immorality with sex as God intended it. And so we flee from sexual immorality. We are intoxicated here with the joy of our wife. And the staggering from that kind of intoxication is a joyful, pleasant staggering. But do not be uh, intoxicated, he says, uh, with, with the adulteress, the forbidden woman. For that kind of staggering is the staggering that leads you down the road to death. All right. With that said, as I was studying this text this week, wrestling with this, reading this, I thought to myself, uh, how am I going to encourage a church made up of over 50% single people? All right. We have more single people in this church than we do married people. How does this help us, single people? How does this help you? Here's the pastor up here saying the remedy for sexual immorality is sex within marriage. I'm not married. Problem. How can I help and encourage those of you who are single? Or maybe are, for whatever reason, not able to be married in a biblical marriage. Well, let me give you three thoughts on this, this is just for single folks, so married people, you can just tune out. This is just for single folks. Number one, and I think I need to say this, number one, being married does help. Meaning, I, I hate it when I hear ma my married friends sort of downplay marriage to my single friends and act like, oh, it's not a big deal, you're fine without marriage. The reality is this. Uh, marriage does help in this way. Being married means that you have someone to fight with in this way. Meaning, if you need a sexual release, biblical marriage is your only option. And I'll repeat that. Biblical marriage is your only option. Marriage does help. And so, if that is your desire, pursue a godly man or a godly woman. Use an online dating service if you have to. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with pursuing a spouse. 
But, secondly, this is the second thing I want to say. Marriage is not the end of sexual immorality. While it helps, marriage is not the end of sexuality. As a matter of fact, in this text, this is a married man here considering sexual immorality. This isn't a single person. This is somebody who has this fountain at home. This is somebody who's married. Meaning, marriage doesn't end sexually sexual immorality for us. Marriage is a new kind of chastity. It was for this reason that Richard Baxter once encouraged a man who was considering marriage in this way. He said, is it better to marry than to burn? Yes. Then you should get married. But before you do, put to death sexual immorality. That was his instruction. Why did he say that? It's because marriage does not heal the sexually immoral. You come into marriage sexually immoral, you will remain sexually immoral within your marriage. There are a hundred different ways within marriage to continue sexual immorality. Marriage is a new kind of chastity, and it does not end the temptation. And number three, you don't need sex. Well, there I said it. You don't need sex. Now, in this overly sexualized world in which we live, to say you don't need, need sex is, is synonymous with saying you don't need food. But friends, throughout the Bible, throughout the, I mean, this, Proverbs chapter 5 is written assuming that this man is married. married. Again, this is one example of many. Throughout the Bible, we see that, that, that a, a godly man or a godly woman can go through life without sex. You don't need sex. You really don't. And if you idolize sex and you don't believe me, there are uh, men and women in this church who have proven with their own life that you don't need sex. So you're idolizing sex, you don't believe Talk to me privately afterward. Maybe I will try to introduce you to one of these men or women who have proven this with their own life and they can disciple you. You don't need sex. Don't idolize sex. Living life with no sex at all, yet gaining the ecstasy of heaven is not a bad deal. And now here's, here's the one last final thing. This chapter really is not about sex at all. I mean, it is. But it's, it's about something much bigger than sexual immorality. Again, this chapter is, is just one of many examples of the road to death. Look at the last couple verses with me, verse 21. For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all of his paths. So while you're not pondering your path, God is thinking about your path. And all of your ways are before the Lord. The iniquities, verse 22, of the wicked man ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are not born morally neutral. We are not born free. But we are born with the cords of sin entangling our feet. We are born chained to sin. For the wages of sin is death. Ephesians chapter 2, 
says this though, while you were dead in your sins, while you were trapped in the cords of sin, tangled, destroyed, in chains, while you were dead in your sins, in that moment, Christ died for you. So yes, you are on the road to death. You have been on the road to death. Christ walked this road for you. And He beat you there. He died for you on the cross. You see, when Jesus hung on the cross, He was dying for the wicked, not for the innocent. He was dying for the immoral, not for the moral. Jesus was dying for those in chains, those in bondage. He wasn't dying for those who are free. Jesus was dying for those who lack discipline not dying for the perfect. This means that Jesus died for you if you call out to Him. He died for me. An imperfect, immoral person who lacks discipline. Jesus died for you. Now His blood forgives you of His sin. His blood cleanses you of all immorality. The Holy Spirit is then given to you and, and, and the Holy Spirit over time changes you. Friends, call out to Christ. Don't try to pick yourself up by your bootstraps. Call out to Christ and say, I believe, I receive, I see Christ on the cross dying for my sins. Dying for my immorality. I receive that. That's mine. Christ is mine. I repent and I believe. And I guarantee you that God through Christ will look at you and call you moral. Upright. Because of Jesus. And I guarantee you that God will change your heart and He will make you into a man and into a woman that looks more and more like Jesus, who you are, redeemed. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time that we could discuss this uh, Proverbs chapter 5 writing. We, we uh, ask that you seal these truths in our heart, that we uh, repent of walking the road to death and that we turn to Christ, and that we see Him as our only hope, that we see Him as better than all any kind of uh, sexual immorality or any kind of uh, uh, immoral trapping. Keep us from uh, slipping. Keep us from buying these lies. Keep us from uh, turning toward the thief. Let us have life in Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.